You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Eben Novi Williams. And this is the Are You Ready for More Football Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. You know, Evan, it occurs to me, I love your intros and your creativity. That's great. But they don't really, you don't introduce who we have. That's your job, Scott. You bring us in after. That's my job. It always falls on me. Anyway, who wants to talk to XFL President Russ Brandon? Russ, hello, and thank you for joining us. Hey, Sash. Great to be with you and Evan. Great, great to uh, talk a little bit more football post-Super Bowl. Yeah. Can I go macro for a second? Let's go macro. Why not? Let's go macro. What's the data that tells me people want more football? What's the data? People, yeah, what, 6.8 million people watching the Pro Bowl. That is probably a great data point. And, and I would say, oh, my God, they're not even sated after that? that yeah. Just the appetite, right. Okay, so, so you're going to look at sort of this exhibition that, by the way, isn't even football anymore. I know. I, yeah, look, this is all entertainment. What do you think of my idea? I have said forever they should bring back Battle of the Network Stars. Remember Robert Con- Conrad and Lonnie Love Anderson? It. it was amazing. I used to love that. I used to love watching those guys. Um, everyone competing against each other back in the old days. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, remember when Gabe, Gabe Kaplan went against Robert Conrad and beat him in like the 100 yard? And, and Conrad got all, I mean, he was pissed. That it was, was fun. Classic. As, as another data point, the other day, it was a, two or three weeks ago, the, the Ivy League sent a group of all-star, the league all-star football players to, I believe it was Japan, to play a group of, of Japanese all-stars in American football. And I wound up watching highlights on on uh, on Twitter for like 25 minutes trying to figure it no, out. No, right? quite. So, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't know about that. People my son love football. Played, my son played at Dartmouth. He just graduated. Oh, there you go. So you probably actually know it better than, better than me. Was well, he on the trip? I was aware of that. Yeah, uh, he, he's in grad school now, so we're you know gotcha. he just okay. keep keeps rolling. Well, all right. So this better work. You need to pay for college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple of them in college right now. Uh, all right. Well, well, I'm still headed on the way. But again, wait. Uh, should this will be this will determine how nicely I treat you, Russ? And we're going to get to XFL big stuff in a minute. But this will determine how nicely I treat you because Eben and I, right when the teams and the logos came out, we declared our allegiances based on logo. I myself took a peek at the Seattle Sea Dragons. I'm like, I really like the logo. Kraken-esque. I, can, I love the color scheme. That's me. Novi Williams went San Antonio Brahmas. Love the Brahmas. Interesting. So without, I'm not going to ask you to pick the favorite of your babies. I'm not going to do that. You just tell me which do you think is going to sell more merch. I think um, 
They're all going to do tremendously well, Sasha. And I'm sporting my XFL logo here. Adam, there the, you the go. Neutral party. Uh, Under <laughs> Armour XFL. Yeah. It was a complete rebrand as well. Yep. And I will say that um, I can't say enough about our friends at Under Armour who were amazing in putting that together. And the detail, to your point, on Seattle with how the sort of that Kraken-type look within the helmet structure, the Brahmas, the, the DC Defenders – um, the the camo that they were aligned with and, and putting those together. Um, the Battle Hawks were huge, you know, last go around, and they've made some tweaks there. Um, the Guardians are a new look down in in O Town. So, you know, and then you know, then you know, the um, the Renegades are sort of that cool Carolina blue, and then you know Houston, you know, the power of uh, red, white, and blue down there. So. Just they've done it. They've done a tremendous job. So I, I I love all the unis. I actually in Vegas is sick too. I I actually having a tough time figuring out which one I like best. Even in my own little mind here. My, my thinking on the Brahmas was that it looked color wise and even design wise kind of looked like the Rocks Under Armour logo as well. Yeah, and I don't like know if that Project was Rock. It, exactly like Project it. Rock. I don't know if that was intentional. The Rock, obviously, uh, uh, an investor and part owner of the XFL, but that, that that I think that's what made me gravitate towards that one. I'll, I'll tell you guys, they they worked their tails off on this for over the past eighteen months as we rebranded everything, and I, I was really really pleased as well as ownership with how everything turned out. I think they're going to look great on the field. Uh, we broke the story that Redbird Capital, Danny Garcia, and the Rock, of course, uh, owners of the league, and Having done Sportico, and we are entering year four now, and I never thought, Russ, that I'd be doing things like, well, what font on the website and what color bar do is the, do we want this red or do we want you know red number seventy two? You know, I, I have no idea, but I got into that, so I'm going to let you go where you want on this one. But how freaking difficult is it to start a sports league, especially even even one that's been around and a rebrand? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, Sash, the it's been an incredible experience. You know, I worked in the NFL most of my career and, uh, you know, we did a lot of cool things while I was in Buffalo on the business side, but nothing like this. I mean, this, uh, watching this all come together, we had an event two Mondays ago here in Arlington and we had all of our athletes, our whole ownership group, all of our coaches, everyone, uh, here in the executive and team level. And, I said to the team before, to the group, a year ago that day, I had 11 full-time employees, and now we're looking out over about 820. So just to see the growth, hitting all the milestones throughout the course of the year, you know, we talked about the uniforms and naming the markets and all the different things that we did, but then going off and doing seven showcases, you know, all the way to McKinley High School in Honolulu, where Dwayne went to school to Jackson State and doing an exclusive HBCU showcase, seeing over 1,500 athletes, doing reports on close to 6,000 athletes, then seeing that all come together in November in the draft and watch our director of player personnel and our head coaches go to work. Um, and obviously we have a, a, great, a great bench of coaches, as you know, and director of player personnel. And then seeing those 500-plus athletes get drafted – you know, that's when it really all came together uh, to, to watch sort of the, the player part of it. And then you're here on January 4th in Arlington and your whole squad is here in watching Kerry Gordon, our VP of Health and Safety, the first female to ever lead a league in that capacity. 
and we onboarded over 560 players in two days. To give you an example, they do about 330 at the combine in a week in the NFL. So just watching all the logistics, all the things that really no one cares about, Sasha and Evan, outside of what we do, um, all come together and watch eight flywheels of practice each and every day, um, and you know buses and hotels and meals and. Uh, reacting to weather and all the different things that we're doing down here. Is, it's been a blast. I'm curious from a, from a philosophical standpoint, you worked in the NFL for a long time. How much of, of do you think of as the XFL as trying to replicate what the NFL has done so well? It's the biggest entertainment property in America. And how much of it do you think of XFL has to be different, has to do X or Y differently than the NFL does from a fan standpoint? I think that's an awesome question because I have always sort of looked at it as being a steward of the game. Um, and how, how can you advance the game of football and, you know, look at things through a different lens. We're not encumbered by hundreds years of tradition. So how can we work? And as you know, we have a, a deep relationship with the NFL when it comes to rules, innovations, technologies, how do we assist the underserved populations in our game to be more active, um, across all segments of our game? A lot of people focus on coaching, and we're really proud that we have four minority head coaches, and we work closely with the NFL Legends community and the Fritz Pollard Alliance. But in addition to all the verticals in the game, when it comes to health and safety, performance science, video, um, athletic training, in our officiating crews alone, we have seven crews. We have a female official in each crew, as an example, and we have the czar of all officiating and rules and Dean Blandino leading the efforts there. So, you know, just as we look at different ways to bring the game to the consumer, you know, how do we harness modern technology, content and interactivity through all the different channels that we, when we consumed this game, when I was younger, it's far different is, is uh, the, this generation. So working off of that as well and bringing the game to the consumer in a different way, being super transparent um, with our rules and officiating with the command center that we have that Dean will be working out of along with Jay Rothman. Um, all for, Dean will be a part of all 43 game windows. He will be um, conversing with the officials. You'll be able to see some of that, you know, on the broadcast as well and, and in stadium. So just trying to think of things differently, um, but with always about advancing the game in a meaningful way. I always wonder how you're going to capture the kids. I know you want the adults, but when you're talking about innovation and whether it's incubation of ideas, uh, you're always going for my focus group of one, my 13-year-old. He's, he's a fan of sports, but I'll tell you, Super Bowl, and Eben knows this, I said in our last podcast, uh, my 13-year-old and our neighbor 14-year-old watched the first quarter said enough with this, went outside, shot some baskets, went downstairs, played some video games, came back with two minutes to go. That ain't good. How do you how do you keep their attention? Yeah, I'm with you, Sash, on that. And I, you know, I have a 22, a 21, an 18 year old. So, you know, watching the same the same thing. I always used to joke, you know, I had my one team growing up watching it on linear television with the antenna in the, you know, on the roof. And, you know, that's funny. My, my father made me stand next to the antenna and hold it so the, the reception would be better. But and, you know, and Evan I, doesn't I, even know what an antenna is. Rabbit ears. He has no idea. He's too young. Yeah, he's too young. Um, yeah. But you know, in, I always said, you know, my kids, you know, they had their their favorite team, which were, were the Bills all those years, and then and then their their two fantasy teams, 
and then, you know, then sports betting and, you know, all the different things and how they engage. And, you know, I think it's our responsibility to embrace the power of the digital world. You know, how do we lean into the power of social media? Um, we have an incredible chief content officer and Bill McCullough here who uh, came to us from FaZe Clan. And, you know, he he really we have a social media house here for our athletes. Um, we're doing a ton of things that we're really leaning into content. And, you know, we understand that your 13 year old consumes it in a far different manner. How how do we provide deeper access, interactivity, you know, to that fan base? And that's something I think we're we're really I know we're really focused on. We've got great people surrounding it. Um, it's just far different than um, even in I think about, you know, when I started in Buffalo in 1997 to where we are today in that capacity. And, and I think it's great because you can bring the athlete closer to the fan. And that's what we're trying to do. We're chatting with Russ Brandon, president of the XFL. And Russ, sometimes uh, we joke with our producer, we need a trumpet sound when I'm bringing some added insight here. I think I think we need a new sound for a sports business joke. Oh boy! <laughs> and Evan's like, oh god, no! Yeah, I'm already <laughs> shaking my head here. Uh, Sorry, no, listeners. No, yeah. no, no, no. This is a good one. I have, a, I have a good one. I see. Now, I think coming from Buffalo might make things difficult because, like, really, the whole sales pitch here should just be whatever you need, big investment, whatever the the largest need of capital is. If if you go by how Buffalo does it, you just tell the taxpayers foot the bill, and that's what we need, and they do it. <laughs> Good, uh, Eben. Eben, not bad, not bad. <laughs> All right, not bad. Anytime you get a stadium finance joke in, come on, you, you, you got to yeah, take your shot, in, man. I, that's pretty good, Sash. I have to give you that. <laughs> Russ, I, I would love to talk about the the city locations for a second. There have yeah. been a number of of um, alternate football leagues that have launched in the past few years. Some of them have taken the approach that we want to be in NFL cities because there are stadiums there and there are fans there who love professional football. Others have taken the approach. We want to be in non-NFL cities. There may be football fans there that are not served by the professional football community. You guys are doing kind of a hybrid here. You're in Vegas. You're in Houston. You're in Seattle, NFL cities. You're also in St. Louis. You're in Orlando, not NFL cities. Walk me through kind of the approach. How differently does the XFL think about being in an NFL city versus not being in an NFL city and what those fan bases might be looking for? Yeah, we you know we, we looked at it post-pandemic and wanted to see how everything sort of settled market-wise as we, as we move forward. So, you know, as you know, we're in five returning cities. Um, we're in three here in uh, the state of Texas, along with our centralized hub model that we have here in Arlington in the DFW. But um, obviously returning here to Arlington, returning to Houston, which are very good markets. But then we really wanted to, to embrace the San Antonio market. You know, I can tell you personally, uh, when I was in Buffalo, we played the Saints in, uh, I think it was in 2003, in, in the Alamo Dome. And uh, just to see the rabid nature of the fan base then. Um, as a quick aside, um, if you ever want to watch the greatest kickoff return in the history of the NFL that did not score, hmm. YouTube Terrence McGee in the return. I think he ran 730 yards and got tackled on the one-yard line right before halftime. So Now, is, is that a job well done or a job not well done? I was in. That's a job well done. Ninety-nine yard return. Yeah, that's a good job. (laughs) Hey Russ, also on this show, Eben knows. Sometimes you'll say something, and I have to admit to sort of like blanking out for a minute. My mind wanders, and if you say San Antonio to me, my mind goes to the Shiloh Deli 
right on the main drag there where they have the frosty mugs and the best root beer out there. So just just so you know, I may have drifted away for a second thinking about the frosty mug. No, no question. I will be there on uh, Sunday afternoon before the game. There's no question on that. But when we looked at that market and then, um, you know, obviously a lot of success in Seattle and in St. Louis in, as we call it internally, XFL 2.0. And then, you know, had the opportunity to, we really uh, looked hard at a variety of markets, but landed in Vegas and in O-Town in Orlando. And uh, you're just trying to build, we obviously know Florida's a a rabid football market as well. Um, And Vegas is everything Vegas. So as as we try to build these markets, we have teams on the ground locally. And the one thing that we're we're doing on on the daily is, a ton of interaction between our coaches have been amazing. They've been in market. Our players have been in market. You know, the way that we can drive content into the marketplaces, you know, not when we were lugging media guides to local TV stations back in 1992. Um, so, you know, it, it, the markets were really important to us. And, and I don't think we really haven't, I don't think we ever really looked and said, oh, NFL market versus not NFL market. We just said, okay, what do we think is the best structure for the first eight as we built year one. I just watched this return, by the way. Uh, you're right. He's he's running with the ball for like five minutes. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I assume have, I had the wrong thing because I thought he was going to get tackled like six I'll, times. I'll have to check it out. See, but this could be something because what this boils down to here, and, and you know, Jerry Cardinal is, is friend of the program. I don't think anybody in, in finance really gets the idea of sports as entertainment and synergies and intellectual property and brand and global as well as Jerry does. And he, he owns myriad properties and we try to see how do they fit together. And he owns a piece of Skydance. So there's that, that delivery system as well. Uh, is that where I think we're headed? And obviously Dwayne brings global appeal and he understands entertainment. Danny as well, entertainment industry. So I don't, I don't want to look at this as pure sport. It's all the ancillary stuff. I don't have to just focus on the XFL on game day during that window. Yeah, I think you're right, Sasha. I mean, you, you, I've always said in my career, it always starts with ownership, right? And we have incredible owners. I mean, you know Jerry well. Um, I've known Jerry for a long time. And uh, yeah, I know Danny calls him the rock of his industry. And he's truly one of the very best of, of what he does. And, and Danny's a powerhouse in herself. She's our chairwoman um, and is involved in the daily as well. She's built multiple businesses, been extremely successful. And, and Dwayne, to your point, as some of the most global appeal uh, in the world. But I I will tell you what's been amazing is how engaged everyone has been, how much they've been involved, not only as we're closing in here on opening day, but going back two years. Yeah, but like you said, it has to be that way, does it not? They better be involved picking what red color font they want or, you know, for the the website. And and it's been amazing to see them. But, you know, the focus on – you know, we, we like to say we're a league of innovation. We're not a league of gimmicks. And to your point, how do we, you know, reach out and appeal to a variety of different segments and demographics? And we have great individuals surrounding at the ownership group. But what they've also allowed, Sash, on, on Evan, on my end, is the people that we're surrounding this with at the executive level on the business and the football side are really blue chip individuals. And, um, you know, we're, we're building it the right way. We've been very methodical and structured and disciplined as we've built it. We're building it for long-term sustainable success. Candidly, I wouldn't have done it if, if, if that wasn't what the model was. And, um, and we've got the right ownership 
group to drive it uh, from the top. I imagine for someone like Dwayne, he's arguably the most popular or most marketable human on the planet that you would, there's part of you that would love to have him involved in absolutely everything. Now, obviously that's not going to happen. How do you kind of pick and choose alongside Dwayne, what he gets involved in and how much to kind of emphasize his involvement here? Well, I mean, he's been great. Like uh, I think back to, you know, a year, year and a half ago and he would be on set doing, you know, a movie and he would hop on a football ops call and, he was always prepared. He was always informed. He always had great questions. And what's amazing about him is it reminds me a little bit of the Brady 199 chip that he carries on his shoulder for every day of his life. Um, Dwayne has a little bit of that, too, when it comes to playing at University of Miami and uh, not having the opportunity to take his career to the next level in, in the NFL. Now, albeit it worked out super great for him. Um but that's what was his really driving force. And he always talks about, you know, the intersection of opportunity um, that he did not have as an athlete at that time. And that's really what the X stands for. Um, so he, he's been amazing. He's I think he made four or five of our showcases um, interacting with the players and the athletes. And, you know, we're doing a really cool docuseries, you know, that's player 54, which, you know, represents exactly what it is player 54 and in that that search for rosters for for being on a potential nfl roster listen you go into training camp and you know pretty much 45 to 48 of your guys and the 53 and it always comes down does the coach want to keep an extra old lineman or or two extra dbs and and that player 54 55 to 60 comes out they said they are very good football players and uh, when you look at our composition of our players here, 65 percent of our XFL drafted players had played um, and rostered in the have NFL experience. So that it speaks exactly to that athlete and exactly who Dwayne was as a player as well. Let's get to our pet peeves and mine and, and how you're addressing them. Mine is that few teams in the major sports, the big four, are any good at in-game presentation. If you blindfold me, but I don't get a difference in one arena to the next. They just don't stand that. I don't think they do a very good job at all. Eben is always just absolutely agape that teams in sports are so far behind in technology. He's like, this is what's happening in another industry. And yet it's so far ahead of where pro sports is. It's the adoption is so slow. So between tech adoption and in-game presentation, how is this going to be different? That's again, not gimmicks, question. but innovation. Yeah, I think it's a great question, Sash. You know, it's again, it comes back to sort of harnessing, you know, that technological and how do we make it interactive and, and, and provide content in, in bowl as well. You know, I, I think you're right. You know, it so much focuses on the field and what's going on. And, and obviously that's important. But how can we provide that sort of that more transparent experience and excitement level that you can provide uh, w within the broadcast as well. How can we bring that to bear? How can people see, you know, the 15, we have 15 athletes that have, will have um, uh, the coach communication system in their helmets and we are not cutting it off at 15 seconds. So again, it's all about access and how can we bring that to the fan? Not only, um, uh, on the, on the screens or on their tablets or on their phones um, or through our social media channels,
but also uh, in bull as well. So it, it's it's certainly a, a a needle that we continue to try to thread and, and, and light it up properly. Can we talk revenue for a second? To the extent that you can, where do you look like as the revenue pie here? Is it is it media? I know you guys have a, a great deal with ESPN. Is it primarily ticket sales? Is it primarily sponsors? I'm curious kind of how you see the business breaking out. Yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's pretty much the pie right there, right? So, you, you know, you look at your, your media rights, you look at your commercial opportunities, your consumer product opportunities, licensing, um, obviously ticket sales. And, you know, people have asked me recently, you know, how do you sort of define success in, in, in that area? And, you know, it's I'm not sitting here with my calculator every day worrying about, you know, if we have two extra people in San Antonio on, on Sunday. It's about making sure that this product is properly delivered, that it is dynamic, both on screen and in stadium and continue to build fandom um, and provide affordable price points for people to come into the game and get more football candidly. Um you know, we built this league for the fan and for the athlete. And what I mean by the athlete is that is one of the reasons that we start in January with our training camp. We kick off in February. We conclude with our championship game on May 13th. But eight of those 10 teams will be done by the of, end of April. And that gives the athlete the seamless transition to the NFL offseason program. Um and we want to give the player not only the physical opportunity if they wish to continue to play in the NFL, but also the mental opportunity to get into a, a building, a facility, absorb the playbook, um, and be a part of the entire offseason program. So when they go to training camp, they have the best opportunity to make the squad. So, you know, you, you look at um, the compositions I mentioned of our rosters and, and how many athletes have played in the NFL, but just look at 2020. Um, Taylor Heineke and PJ Walker were two quarterbacks in the XFL. And on one weekend this fall, they beat Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers on the same Sunday. So it's providing that athlete the pathway and journey of opportunity. And that's what we're really focused on. It sounds like th that's a version of success, right? The, yes. Seeing people yeah. that are playing in XFL in, in March that are then in October playing big games on Sundays? Listen, it's no different Evan, than, you know, being at a triple-A baseball stadium and, you know, watching Albert Pujols as a young player or someone and following their career and their and their opportunity. And, and, their, and that creates even deeper fandom as you move forward. Listen, bottom line is there's a lot of great athletes, football athletes that are out there. You look at what's happened with the transfer portal. You look at, you know, the NIL situation. Um, and how college is not, you know, obviously is it's its own separate game. And there are a lot of young men that go into the transfer portal. And what people don't realize, they look at the top guys and they say, oh, Spencer Rattler went from Oklahoma to, to South Carolina. But they don't look at the other hundreds of, of athletes that don't go anywhere, that don't have an opportunity. And we are the league of opportunities. So we're, we'll be here for that athlete if they can make a roster. You know, you know what you should do. Far be it from me to phrase it that way, what you should do. But I'm going to tell you what you should do. Every roster should have one Ivy League lightweight football participant. And, and Novi Williams' hands goes up right there. 
I'll be the Brahmas. Prince, lightweight Princeton University football, winless in his entire tenure there. What do you think about that, Russ? Oh, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Listen, my son's got two Ivy League rings, and you know, I would tell him the rest of his life he can say that he never lost to Harvard or Yale, but they did lose to Princeton one time. Okay? There you go. There you I go. have to listen to Mark Ross on our staff, who played at Princeton as well. Um, I have made him wear the, the Dartmouth hat a couple times, though. I've been mean, after games, after we've and we have uh, uh, a big array. I think there's a half a dozen Ivy League players here that are rostered as well. So the lightweight division, you know, we'll have to work on that a little Yeah, bit. that'll be a year three thing. Yeah, that 172 and under. Yeah, You, you got to <laughs> tap into those Ivy League endowments to buy some sponsorship and things like that. That's where you got to focus. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, this just came out here, Russ, and I want to get your, your opinion on it. It's an NFL thing. and said you, you came from the Bills. So you're familiar with the New England Patriots. Uh, you know that team, right? You know that franchise, the Patriots oh, of New yeah, England? The, the one that ruined our lives. Yeah, that's you know, the one. That, yeah. That, yeah. That's the one. Steve Grogan, you know, that's what everybody thinks of. They think of Steve Grogan first. Um, but they just came out with something for parking. And I consider this innovative. I consider the Patriots willing to try things. And I don't think it's an accident that they win on the field when they think this way. You, they have three parking options. General parking, which is going to be across the street from Route 1, which is sort of the main artery that takes you there, it gets very crowded, is free. You can park for free as long as you're across the street from Route 1. But this is the part I love. You can be paid. They will give you 50 bucks if you agree to wait 75 minutes after the game to leave. Therefore, therefore, easing traffic, easing congestion. And by the way, they're not stupid. They own some of the restaurants and bars around the stadium there. And everybody's going to head right there for 75 minutes where they're sucking down some of the highest margin items you can find in retail. I think this is brilliant and nobody's going to pay attention to it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, that is one of the most difficult when even when you have police escorts and buses and yep. and uh getting to the airport after that is a very difficult process. So I certainly have seen it firsthand. Um, I will tell you that personally, I think that one of the most innovative organizations from a business standpoint, Jonathan Kraft is brilliant, um, does incredible um, activations within their business structure there. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And I think it's a great idea. All right, Eben, let's end where we started, Eben. Although you can do what you got to do, but I, I, we didn't get an answer. Sea Dragons promise. We didn't get an answer. <laughs> Pick one. Who you're not rooting for one. Who do you think is going to sell more merch? By the end of the year, we'll know. Sasha, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finish up. And and do the clothes too, Evan. Well, go. You do take it away. I'm I'm done. No, no, no. That's good. I was I was gonna ask if you going back to the other topic, had you have you played a game in, in Tottenham? Did the Bills play in, in that stadium yet? No, we played in um in London in gotcha. uh, Wembley. The reason I'm asking, I've heard from a few friends in London who have been to Tottenham Stadium that unlike almost any other stadium, at least in the U.S., people just hang around afterwards. Yes, the stadium just kind of becomes a bar afterwards, right? As opposed to American football stadiums where the minute the game ends, you have 80,000 people trying to get back to their cars. It seems like that's a way better business if people want to come early and stay late. And I think what the Patriots are doing is great there. um, I would say the same thing, and I heard the same thing in Munich as well. I heard people hung out for hours after that game. So, no, listen, in Buffalo, that would have been great for us too. We don't have Patriot, did not have Patriot place around us, but, you know, just getting out of Abbott Road and and, and hitting the 90 there can be a, a long journey. So, no, I think what uh, New England's doing on that front is, is, 
brilliant. All right, Russ Brandon, president of the XFL. But stick around, Russ. Don't hang up because when Eben has to do the close, invariably he screws up at least one or two things. It's pretty fun. Normally I do it, but I'll put him on the spot here to do it live with you because he really, he, let's see if he has a, it's a little under the weather, got a scratchy throat, so I'll give him his excuse. But I don't think he can get through it with mistake free. He is Russ Brandon, the president of the XFL, which launches on Saturday for my co-host Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Shout out to Matt. Our digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can download this show wherever you get your podcasts. is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VGW group void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus